Hello and welcome to another edition of We Ain't Got No Podcast. This is your host, Jay Wilmington, joined with my fellow co-host, Julian Bravo. Julian, how are you, sir? Um, I'm well. Uh, even in spite of today's results, I would still say that uh, I am well. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm feeling the same way. Chelsea coming off a nil-nil draw with Brentford today as we're as we're talking here uh, a couple hours after the match and uh, yeah some positives I think to take away also some maybe things a little concerning or you know it, it certainly wasn't all positives but before we get to that um, you know it's so many matches are coming our way so fast Julian that you know the la- we talked just over a week ago and this is already the third match Chelsea's played in that time and so uh, you know quickly before we we get into the Brentford match um, you know a huge Champions League uh, rematch for Chelsea and, and AC Milan after Chelsea's win we talked about, and going uh, you know to Milan, Julian. I expected kind of kind of something quite a bit different maybe than we saw from Chelsea when they were so handily beat Milan uh, at Stamford Bridge. I don't know what did you expect? Did you think they would uh, go in and all guns blazing again in Milan, or did, did you think maybe we'd see something a little bit different? Well, I did say in our last podcast that I was going to be happy with a draw, but I didn't think that a win was necessarily out of question. We were playing so well. We were in great form, and we seemed to have so much momentum going into that match that it was entirely possible to see us get three points, and we started out really bright and positive. So, I mean, not to get too far ahead of myself, but it was really nice and not as unexpected as maybe some people might have thought going into that match getting all three points and what helped put us on top of the group I've alluded to the fact it's nice just at least for me personally to have just uh, more optimism going into these matches and so you know it, it just feeling uh, yeah just just that more just higher expectations kind of as, as we've entered these last few matches and I think going into that Milan match just looking even at the group even when uh, you know when we drew the group that that would be probably the toughest match of the group to go to Milan. And then of course, just with all the things Chelsea has been dealing with and not being ahead in the group, you'd think it would even be tougher, but just the way things changed so quickly, um, you know, the, the form had been so good the last few matches that I think felt pretty good going into it. But Julian, I think the major talking pat, ma- excuse me, talking point of this match happened pretty early and it involved uh, former former Chelsea man uh, Fakayo Tomori. You and I actually, I think, had talked just briefly before the match that you know I'd seen mention that that you know he he had been so specifically focused in the media after having a pretty tough performance at Stamford Bridge and his return there that he was you know very highly motivated to come out and make a big impact for Milan and, and he did, but not certainly in the way at least that AC Milan was hoping for getting a red card and a penalty just 18 minutes into this match. And, you know, uh, uh, Reese James makes a nice pass down the right side to lead Mason Mount in who sort of rounds Tamori and, and sort of fighting. And ultimately Tamori ruled to have pulled Mount back despite the fact Mount was able to kind of poke a shot at goal that was saved. Julian, was this a foul for you? I think that's the major question from this match and kind of the one that was talked about the most because it really did kind of flip flip the match on its head. I think originally I said to you and to some others that I didn't necessarily think it was a foul. And if it was, then it was a very soft foul. But, and I hate to look back on it and change my opinion, but yes, he did pull Mason Mount back a couple of times. And it's one of those things where if it was given against us, I would have to begrudgingly accept it because 
you can't do that as a defender. You've been beaten. You either have to let the goal happen, but the last thing you can do is both get sent off and give away a penalty. And as somebody that's a big fan of Fakaya Tamori, it was unfortunate to see that happen to him. But at the same time, I ultimately came to the decision that it was the right call. Yeah, I think for me, I, I felt like it was a foul. I would not have been real surprised had it not not been called one. I think VAR it was one of those like would have probably stood behind whatever was called on the pitch because it wasn't going to be an obvious overturn. Uh, and I think you know for officials, what they really want to see is a is a clear challenge and a clear penalty in the box before they want to whistle a penalty. But but I got to credit the official because I think and Mason Mount alike, because I I think both, you know, Mount playing through the challenge rather than just sort of going down easy, I I credit him. Um, But but to me, you know, he gets away a pretty good shot if he's not pulled back, and ultimately a little toe poke from a slide is... Uh, is ultimately only affected by by the foul into Morian because Mount was around him. You know, I I think it's there. But a- anyway, ultimately it goes Chelsea's way. Jorginho steps up and you know as he does most almost always uh, his little hop step penalty sends the keeper the wrong way and Chelsea go on and and a, and a match that you know Milan had rightly so started with a lot of energy at home suddenly down a man down a goal. Uh, it just it really changed everything, didn't it, Julian? I mean, from there you had you could really only see one winner, and that was Chelsea. Yeah, and these aren't necessarily the most fun matches to watch because you can't necessarily take away too much from your own performance, especially given that we're still early in Potter's reign as a manager. So after they did go down a man, we definitely expected to take home all three points, given just how dominant we were in that first match, and. There was no reason to think with another man on the pitch we wouldn't dominate this match too, even if it was an away fixture. So it really did take away what could have been a much more enjoyable match, but at the same time, they made a mistake and it was ultimately the right call. So that's what we were set up for for the rest of that match anyway. And to Chelsea's credit, you know, even though they were up a man, their second goal came on what, you know, may or may, you know, at least at this point, probably their most kind of prettiest team play goal, just uh, one touch passing. I guess you could say that maybe Mount's final touch was was kind of intended for Sterling and left too far, and that's why Aubameyang reaches it. But but I'd, I'd like, you know, there's nothing really to complain about after after such a nice team uh, passage of play that results in a goal. And after Aubameyang fires home to make it 2-0 to Chelsea, I think that really did break the back and the will of Milan, just leaving them so much to do. Uh, you know, still 60 minutes to play, 60, 55 minutes plus, but just just kind of at that point, you know, they're they're down 5-0 in this sort of weak two-leg, um, you know, tie, and, and just there couldn't have been a lot of hope left, and I think Chelsea did a pretty good job, you know, from there on out, really. As you said, th- these are tough matches to kind of be a part of because it just changes so much the format of what we expect, and there's so much talk leading into the matches of, you know, what the style of play is going to be and how these teams are going to go about attacking one another. And then you have a sending off and, and you know, at some point Milan basically, in in my opinion, almost had to set up shop and kind of not get killed again just to protect somewhat of their goal differential to, to maintain position with other teams in the group should it come to head-to-head. So, um, you know, I, I don't know, Julian, I, I think this match was... As as exciting as it was leading into it, you know, we talked about that red card sort of 
you know, changing the temperature a little bit. Anything else that really stood out to you in this match that was worth talking about more, um, you know, out, outside of the two goals for Chelsea and the red card? Well, obviously there's not a whole lot to say in the second half. It felt like the game was pretty much over, especially at that point. But I think the biggest talking point, even bigger than the result that we earned, was the fact that we lost Breach James for an extended period of time. And that, I feel like, will come into play in the next two fixtures and obviously from this point going forward as well. And for a lot of people, and I said I didn't want to continue to bring up Tuchel, but a lot of people that like to give Tuchel some like way out, it was because he did struggle with injuries. So losing a key player like Reese James, who had some fitness issues last season as well, it's going to be interesting to see how Potter is able to adjust and adapt because we really don't have depth in that position. As Felicueta is serviceable at times, but it's very much a drop-off from arguably the best right-back in the world. It's such a huge loss for Chelsea. It's also going to be a huge loss for the England national team. Not that that's a big concern of you or mine, but um, you know, at least it's a huge concern for Reese James, who's you know uh, this World Cup. He was so well positioned to be a huge part of for that squad. Um, you know, and it's it's such an odd circumstance, I think, because you know there was there was obviously some concern there when it happened, but you know, based on just what you kind of heard from the player and 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 the team afterwards, the way he came out, uh, you know, unlike Fafana, who was, he was on crutches after the match, and there seemed to be this sort of sense it was going to be a pretty major injury. I think with James, there it, it seemed almost that it was more precautionary the way they were treating it, and so it was really kind of surprising, at least to me personally, when we got the news, I think it was the day after that, that, you know, when they'd taken a scan, that there was some damage and that this was going to require, I think, you know, approximately eight weeks out of action. Um, golly, that's, 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 that's tough because obviously he'd been the guy that not only is he the first name on the, on the team sheet each week, but you could almost just write him in as man of the match every week too. Uh, and, and while, um, I don't know, Julian, one thing I think that stands out for me a little bit at least on the hopeful side for me, because there's no guarantee that, you know, you, you miss eight weeks and you just come right back to the same form you were in. Uh, but maybe at least from a selfishly, from a Chelsea perspective, this world cup comes at a good time with this injury for Reese James and that, you know, four of these eight weeks, so to speak, he can be back just rehabbing, not missing any match action, but being kind of, you know, under the best care, um, kind of returning hopefully as soon as he can. Well, that's the optimistic outlook, but there's also maybe the concerning outlook that he tries to rush back and is included in the England squad. We've seen it too many times when it comes to the World Cup where a manager will pick players that aren't fully fit, and it does them a lot more damage. I'm thinking specifically of Fernando Torres for Spain, and that's not the only example. I feel like Harry Kane's another good example of that, too. So I hope that's not what happens with Reese James because he could be just as important for them as he is for us. Let's hope that's not just what happens, though. Yeah, I, I obviously I do feel for Reese James, even though, as I said, it feels a little bit selfish even to say it's optimistic that he, you know, will, will be kind of back getting healthy. But, you know, we've seen so many times over, even when it comes to smaller tournaments or even friendlies, that the sort of national team managers don't always have the same interests. And if there's any chance that they, you know, as deep as they have been theoretically at right back, there's been other issues for that for England. That, and, and, 
yeah, it would not surprise us at all to see that, you know, if, if Reese James thought he could make himself at any availability that the national team could come calling. But, you know, we'll see how that plays out. And, and as you said, not only in that regard, but how it affects Chelsea in these coming matches and, and the kind of reemergence of the heavy involvement for, for Aspilicueta, I think will be it will be part of that as we've seen so far. Uh, but you know, Julian, that brings us to the to the Aston Villa match, and this this for me, you know, what was uh, was interesting, particularly I think because I, it's gotten so unpredictable when I go to look at a Chelsea lineup, not just in formation but also in personnel, because I think Potter has kept you know, for better or worse, has really kept us all um, guessing at what at what Chelsea might do in 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 any given match. But I thought this time coming out for Aston Villa, there was you know. Expected that we were going to have some pretty heavy rotation, but I think maybe I, I don't want to say that we got it completely wrong, but I but I think especially early on coming out in 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 what I I guess was kind of a a four two three um, with with Loftus Cheek and Kovacic in the midfield, um, you know, again hev- heavily flexible formation to say the least, but. What did you think, kind of, of this opening part of the match with Aston Villa here for Chelsea and the lineup that they brought out? Well, you're going to be a lot kinder than I am because I think Potter did get it 100% wrong, and credits to him because I think he knew that he got it wrong. That's why he made two substitutes at halftime. But yeah, it was a little bit of a mess. It was a little bit of a deviation from everything we'd seen up to this point under Potter because. We looked like the second best team in that game, and I don't think anybody was really expecting that given how just we had beaten Milan back to back pictures. So we had looked pretty good in all of our previous matches. So I didn't foresee this coming. I think that he uh, saw and acknowledged his mistakes pretty early. So credits to him for that. And uh, yeah, really concerning, honestly, that first half. Well, and Chelsea and Potter caught an early break that really kind of helped them out to avoid some of that early pressure as Mason Mount got a goal just six minutes in off a uncharacteristic mistake uh, from Tyrone Mings as he tries to play a header out and just deflects it uh, up into the air and really Mount, the only one to react, still had some work to do to finish it on a volley out of the air, but, you know, just kind of handed to him on, on a silver platter. Uh, just something, again, on a, on a larger scale that I think you know, you go through these stretches in football where you just feel like nothing can go your way, and then there's stretches where things sort of fall your way, and just watching, you know, uh, even though Chelsea couldn't seemingly get much right for the first half, to see them lead 1-0 off a goal that was absolutely handed to them, I just, you know, I think back to some of the things where Chelsea, you know, would only give up one or two shots in a whole match and end up losing seemingly, uh, you know, multiple times, and now, you know, you're finding yourself on the beneficiary of a similar similar circumstance. I think, like you said, it was a little bit refreshing for me to see Potter acknowledge maybe that he didn't get the initial starting lineup right or at least recognize that there was need to make change for the second half. And he brought a little, you know, change of formation, bringing on Aspilicueta and Koulibaly both and taking off Kukurea and, and Havertz. Um, you know, still Chelsea... I don't know. I didn't. I wouldn't say they exactly dominated the second half, but they they got a uh, another goal from from Mason Mount in the second half off a free kick that I have heard. I, I've heard this described everywhere from a, a really bad goalkeeper error to a incredible sublime free kick. Julian, where, where where do you stand on this second second goal and free kick from Mason Mount? 
As somebody that any time was stuck in goal and couldn't save anything at all, I will say that uh, those shots are tricky, especially with the wall. So um, I don't want to take credit away from Mason Mount, and I don't want to blame the goalkeeper too heavily. But at the same time, from my experience, I would say that a goalkeeper should save that, like a top-class goalkeeper. So I'm going to probably lean a little bit more on the goalkeeper should have at least done a little better but I mean it's, it's really tough to say from my vantage point as somebody that I know wouldn't have done even a little bit better well I know you say that a little tongue-in-cheek but I'm glad you add that little anecdote because the reality is I mean that is why these guys are are taught to hit the ball sort of you know, on the valve or just hit it where they where it dips and swerves the way they do because even these in, you know, top-level goalkeepers. Pulisic hit one a little similarly today in the Brentford match that he just hit right at the keeper, and it, it didn't have nearly the venom. But it, you can just tell that the, the way that ball plays in the air is is so difficult to read. And so, you know, again, when you, where you, when you see the ball go in and it's not in the corner off a free kick, you tend to think, man, that's that the keeper should have that covered. But, but you know, you, you kind of made the point it, that is – so so difficult to stop a ball that's moving that quickly and and moving around in the air um it yeah so but mount mount gets his second goal continues his excellent run of play since graham potter's uh involvement he now had i think after the aston villa match five goal involvements in three matches uh you know was was really really playing well and i think chelsea able to survive you know, one of those matches on the on the road where they're not at their best, uh, maybe a little bit of luck, maybe a little bit of, you know, great play at the right time. Um, but Julian coming away with another big three points in the Premier League. Yes, but I think a lot of people took some huge negatives away from this match. This is the first one I saw, including the Crystal Palace match, where I thought we were nuts just second best, but we were actually second best by a little bit of a distance. The scoreline doesn't really reflect the way that the match actually was played because if I recall correctly, I believe Villa had twice as many opportunities as we did, and Keppa was outstanding. He really saved us in that match, which is something I feel like nobody would have expected to hear just a year ago or so. I think the other takeaway we had was the system isn't quite as flawless as maybe some of the other systems were in the past. And I'm thinking Antonio Conte's kind of plug and play and earlier in the Tuchel days where you could, again, kind of plug and play pretty much any player into a system and we will get a really good performance out of them and the system. This right here was catered to that same system that has worked in the previous matches, but it seemed like Villa was up for it. And as a result, we did not look the same. It looked like we were two completely different teams from any of the Milan matches or even, I would even say the Crystal Palace match, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and we'll, I want to put a pin in this as well, because I think this will lead as an interesting segue into the, into the Brentford uh, match, because I think there's some, yeah, I'd be interested to know your takeaways there, but you know, going back to Keppa a little bit, I yeah, I, what a what a run of form. I mean, I know that Keppa in particular, goalkeeping, I think to be such a mental sport, especially at the top level. And you see keepers, you know, I think of somebody like David de Gea, who's been at times just absolutely unbeatable, and then you know he's questioned for 
a season maybe or half a season of whether he belongs at top level and then it's right back to being one of the best in the world. I mean, it's just a position where you see people go through these incredible runs of forms and then really cool off. And obviously, you know, Keppa might even be at the tip of that spear just because he is the ultimate, what do you want to say, head case when things are going bad. But it's like this is the other side of that. When this guy gets confident and in a run of form, uh, he he's obviously an, an incredible athlete and his reactions and ability to read the game when he's on – the the save he made on Ings in the first half where he gets a, a header, you know, it seemed like he, Ings heads that about six inches in front of Kepa and somehow he's still able to react and tip it over the bar. He did something similar today uh, to Mbomo uh, for, for Brentford. And I just, it, yeah, it makes me feel really good. I mean, obviously it's going to feel good anytime one of your players has a great run of form. But, but for Kepa, I just... In a little bit the same way that I that I came to really appreciate Timo Werner, there was this like, there's no hiding at some point from the fact that you haven't been good, you haven't been what we signed you to be, but you kind of just kept at it, and maybe some people thought you should try to go prove yourself another team or find a new situation, but you, you didn't like hide, you just kind of kept at it, kept trying to earn your performance, and maybe you didn't do what anybody expected for you, but it's got to, it, that, that's what especially feels good for me to see um, you know, to see Keppa come good. And again, ultimately, I think that's what what you're hoping from from a team is not that it completely displaces Mendy, but now you potentially have two keepers that you can count on because, you know, as we've seen, Julian, we're we're in this this huge uh um match congestion at the moment. So it can only be handy to have two keepers. Um, you know, do you think this is something that Keppa can keep up for a while or do you think that's just moment, you know, another match or two before we'll see Mendy reinstated? Unfortunately, it's been a little too inconsistent with Keppa for the entire time that he has been here. When we do get a nice run of form for him, it always just takes one kind of dumb error and all of a sudden he seems to be a little lost. And watching his play today, he takes a lot of risks. He plays a lot of maybe dangerous passes in general. And there was even one time where he did extend out for a ball that he probably wasn't going to get and was lucky to get away with that. So it's always in the back of my mind. And I hope that he continues this run of form because the more he's able to get this sort of success, I feel like the longer we can prolong that significant error. And let's jump into today, which once again, as Keppa right there in goal. Uh, and today, Chelsea, again, switch switching lineups a little bit. We get Aspilicueta, Chaloba, uh, Koulibaly, Kukureya, and I, and I guess Loftus-Cheek is the other sort of semi-midfielder wingback. Connor Gallagher, Jorginho, Mount, Havertz and Broya all get the start. First full day, the full debut for Armando Broya. Um, Julian, you know that, that I think that to me kind of stood out. Nice to nice to see him get a start. Um, you know, couple a couple of plays that he made in particular. But you know, we haven't talked a whole lot about him on this podcast. But you know, tell me your thoughts on Armando and whether you think that you know he's a player that can actually kind of establish himself here in the Chelsea squad. Well, one thing I said about Potter coming in was it looked like he was looking for an actual striker. And that's why I felt Aubameyang might benefit from his presence maybe a little bit more than a lot of the other players in the team because a lot of the time it looked like Tuchel felt the front three was interchangeable. And that's why you could see anybody from Havertz to Mount to Sterling playing as our sort of false nine or false striker 
where we didn't need a true out-and-out number nine. And that's why having Potter come in and utilize Obama Yang, he seems to be very much a regular starter. And I felt that the only other true striker we had on the team was Roja or Broya or however his name is technically pronounced. And I felt that that meant he was going to get more playing time with Potter, mostly because he utilized an actual out-and-out number nine as opposed to a more, I don't know, varied approach to that. So I've been a fan. Funny enough, man, you were both present at Stamford Bridge for his debut, and I think we've both been a fan for a while. I honestly didn't expect him to ever make it to the first team within the club, so I have a lot of admiration for the progress he has made been watching him for a very long time and he has improved greatly from the first time I had seen him play all the way to the point where he is within the squad itself really enjoyed his performances from Southampton last year and he definitely has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder to kind of prove he belongs in this team well as you and I know from being uh, fans for a long time so much about whether you end up making it at the club seems to be, you know, like a lot of things in life. Are you at the right place at the right time? And I think, you know, like somebody like Tammy Abraham had all the talent, but maybe was not at the right place at the right time, at least, or the right manager at that time. And yeah, like you said, it seemed like Potter was kind of showing up and looking for somebody and had a little bit more interested in taking a real actual look at somebody like uh, and so I, yeah, it was nice to see him play today. Um, I, I think, you know, particularly after scoring his first goal, uh, recently, which was a well taken goal, might I add, um, you know, I, I, I like having him up there. I also think that there are times where maybe it's right now that I feel a little bit disenfranchised with Kai Havertz as a player I like, but as just, I, I'm finding match and match and match again. I'm like wondering where is he? What is he doing? Uh, when I can kind of answer that for most of the other players on the pitch, um, I man, even if he's not scoring goals, that presence up front for for Broya to be able to be a focal point. I think even you know today today for Brentford with their high press, which was really effective early and then sort of waned after that. His ability to be a, to be somebody that a keeper or a defender can play a long ball to, and just in sheer size, like kind of shield the defender, play the ball down with his chest, and and hold up play, is really nice. Because you know, while I I don't think Kai Havertz has played great late lately, I it's also not really fair to ask him to be that guy uh, in in matches for Chelsea. And so I think there's a and also there's times where it's just. The, the, the ball that's really there is the ball from the wing to play across into the box. And he's one of the guys who's big enough and can get a forehead to the ball. Um, you know, he's bigger than Aubameyang. I think Aubameyang obviously has experiences is he's also a, a real focal point uh, number nine. And, and I, yeah, kind of interestingly, I think there's kind of an opportunity for both of those guys to make, make an impact here um, and allow, you know, some of the Chelsea's other attackers to play in more natural areas, either, you know, in, in roles behind the forward or out on the wings. So I I think, yeah, I it was, it was exciting to see him get the start, although, um, you know, I have gotten a little focus specifically on him that, once again, a lot of chopping and changing because, you know, Thiago Silva gets a rest, Aubameyang gets a rest, uh, Mount kind of the one to start up front because, you know, uh, Sterling also on the bench. So not only that, but 
Connor Gallagher gets subbed off just 15 minutes in. And Julian, I don't know if you saw it after the match. It was, I guess Connor was sick. They said there was some kind of stomach bug. He looked, he looked pretty off from the beginning, just really rough on his first touches and misplaced passes. Um, it was a little odd to see him subbed off for Kovacic after 15 minutes, but, uh, Apparently, uh, just had a little bit of a stomach bug. I guess that happens sometimes, eh, Julian? Yeah, I'll take that over any sort of real significant injury. I really like the way Connor Gallagher has been playing, and I can't help but wonder how this match might have been different if we did have a fully fit Connor Gallagher, because I think he's a little bit of an ideal fit for what Potter has been looking and trying to do with this club. And maybe this adjustment did throw off our plan going into this match. So, Obviously, one of those things where we will never know what might have been, but I guess we'll take the glass half full approach in that it wasn't anything significant. And I, and I thought, you know, this going into this match in particular, uh, you know, I, I was kind of mixed after the Villa match. I think, you know, I completely agree that with people. Or, or even what we were just talking about earlier, that there was some real cracks in the armor and the performance during Villa, despite you know the scoreline looking solid at two nil. Um, you know, maybe got the lineup a little bit wrong and just looked way more open um, in defense than than obviously the clean sheet would suggest. I you know there was some. Not there were a little bit of nerves for me going in, particularly away at Brentford. I think Brentford's a team that established them well, plays plays well at home, and I think I think I saw something like if they'd won today, they could have gone to fifth or sixth. Uh, I think it was sixth. So you know, a, t- a team that's in the top half and 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 plays pretty well. So just on that regard, it's not you know a match you just automatically assume you would go and get three points in. Um, but but also once you're seeing the starting lineup and seeing you know Silva's not in there and Sterling's not in there, bombing. I just I wasn't real surprised not for for Chelsea not to get any goals, but I think in particular I wasn't surprised to see the first twenty minutes or so be pretty heavily dominated by Brentford and just the energy in their high press. Chelsea really you know trying to play the ball out of the back and just not being as crisp as they've been in some of their recent matches, and that's often a you know you mix just not real crisp with a good, solid, high-energy, high-press, and that's kind of the, you know, perfect concoction for for a team to get at you. Um, and yet, despite that, despite the fact that, you know, Chelsea couldn't really establish themselves early, they did so without giving too much away. I, you know, Kepa made another really good save on Ivan Tony on a header uh, early, which was a little similar to the Danny Ings header in the Villa match. But but outside of that, it, it just sort of was like Chelsea wasn't creating a lot or establishing a lot, but they also weren't necessarily playing themselves into just massive problems like they have in, in some matches. And then after about the first 20 mi- minutes, Julian, I thought, you know, that Chelsea kind of at least weathered the, the heaviest part of the storm from that press and was able to kind of get the ball into the Brentford half of the pitch and move it around and create create more possession and, and control on the match. But again, where it's not a big surprise to me, we enter halftime nil-nil is just, you know, Chelsea able to to get out of their half, but but now really not moving the ball around and having some of the um, just really smooth passing movement that they've had in some of the most recent matches. And again, to me, that's just sort of a matter of you're playing a lot of matches. Uh, this team's been pretty good at breaking up your passage of play and also that you're missing a couple of key players who, you know, if you sit down and say kind of your top 11 is right now, there's three or four of those guys that, you know, not not in this match. 
And we bring up the player positional maps a lot. And one thing that really stood out to me about this match is it looked really congested on the right side. And I think that can be attributed to the fact that we do not have reach games. I don't ever want to be the type of person that makes excuses for losses of points because of injuries. But it does seem like right now we don't, we were always kind of papering over cracks. Just because we made a managerial change, it didn't change the fact that our squad was not built right to win. We were still lacking in what we discussed in preseason in the midfield. We never really corrected those errors. We don't have the right amount of depth there. And it doesn't help that Kovacic and Jorginho have played pretty much the majority of the season. And Conte is not going to be back soon either. So we have a significant shortage in even more defensive-minded midfielders because neither of those two, as we discussed in preseason, are overly defensive-minded to begin with in the first place. So we don't have the right fit for this team. And just because we saw some really good performances that maybe papered over that issue, it doesn't really work when we continue to play matches. Somebody's going to be able to find a way to expose that. And we're lacking in now not just that position, but also on the right side of the pitch because Reese James had a really important role in this team, and nobody in the team, especially not Loftus-Cheek, who I like Loftus-Cheek, they're not capable of filling the same role that Reese James had. Well, and it's one of the interesting things in sports that, you know, as as obvious as your best player is when they're starring in every match, in some ways it's almost more obvious how much they're your best player when suddenly they're not playing in any matches because – like you said, it's not just the individual, you know, uh, performance above whoever his replacement is going to be. It's it's the fact, the way the whole team has to kind of change the way they play or not at least have this sort of special piece in the corner that can do cover three other things at once. And, yeah, it just sort of takes a huge magic spark out of, what you can do um and there's not a lot of players like that out there and I think you know it, it speaks to how special a player that Reese James has become and you know continues to be and hopefully you know when he returns from injury he'll be able to find that form again quickly but you know that's the other thing that's a challenge is it's so hard because even you know as good a player as Reese James is his form this last couple of months prior to his injury had been you know maybe the best he's ever played so you know it's it's unfair a little bit to expect of him that he's going to return from injury and play himself immediately back into that level but um you know it's just something that you know Chelsea are going to have to deal with and I think that you know what you get out of Aspilicueta is in instead is somebody at least that you know you you can count on that's going to always that He's going to do still do a lot of things for the team, but obviously what he can provide going forward is just not comparable in the slightest. Uh, and not only that, but I think, you know, Espoquate obviously has always not been top-level speed, but as he now ages in his career, he just becomes a little bit more of a liability against pacey players where, you know, can contrast that with Reese James. So you'd see him slide into the right center back at certain times, Specifically, because he was so pacey, he could keep up and, you know, uh, harry all kinds of players that were otherwise a menace to deal with down down the left wing. So, um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a big loss for Chelsea, uh, and again, um, something hopefully they can at least deal with until they can, they can get James back. But you know, there 
there's also the midfield, you know, real, being pretty thin there. And I think Gallagher going off uh, early today, you know, they were, it was a match they were really hoping to get some Kovacic, some rest so that he could be fresh um, for Manchester United on Saturday. But, you know, instead he's got to come in and play, you know, basically 85, or, you know, 75, 80 minutes. So that's just, that's just kind of how it, how it worked out for Chelsea today. But Keppa continued his great performance in the second half. And, and to be fair to him or, or to Brentford, Mbomo had the best chance and headed a ball that Keppa made a good save, but really Mbomo has to put that ball on either side of him and, and Brentford take the lead. So maybe it's, it's not fair to, you know, Maybe Brentford should have won this match, and they'll maybe they'll feel that way. But I just think this this for me always kind of felt like a draw, and particularly after halftime, it settled into this pattern of play where, you know, unless Christian Pulisic was gonna create something and score a goal pretty much by himself once he came on, there just wasn't, um, you know, Raheem Sterling had one good chance as well, but the, the, the just Brentford sat back, sat deep, and nobody, you know, seemed like they were willing to kind of really risk uh, losing the points to try, you know, gaining all three. Well, I don't want to be all doom and gloom because this was a points drop to a team that's performing pretty well this season. So I don't want to be too negative about this performance. One thing I feel like that has really changed with Potter's arrival is this kind of notion that you can make mistakes and it'll be fine. You can take risks in a more attacking position and it'll be fine if you don't get it right. Because I feel like a lot of our attacking players are maybe trying more ambitious passes. They're trying to find that final ball. And, you know, a couple inches here or there could be all the difference between getting a player in behind the defense and not getting the opportunity at all. So I at least like that aspect. That's one positive I took away because a lot of these players seem to be playing with at least a little bit more freedom to do so. One other player I've noticed that's a trend with as well is Jorginho, who I and a lot of people I've been very critical of, but he seems a lot more inclined to move the ball forward and be a little bit more direct. But even in the final attacking third, you see a lot more of our players, whether it be Kai Havertz or Mason Mounts, attempting some passes that they weren't trying earlier in the season. Did you have any thoughts at all about uh, Carney Chukwameka? I know we talked about him early early in the season and what Chelsea, he, you know, didn't get a ton of time out there today. But I thought in his 30 minutes, he looked pretty lively. Sure would have been nice. You know, he he had one actually pretty good chance to score and, and took a good shot that was saved. Obviously would have been a huge highlight had he been able to get a goal in his, you know, real, he had eight minutes, I think, prior to today. But, um, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you got to see enough out of him today to really, you know, form much opinion. But, uh, you know, he's a player I thought made a bright appearance for Chelsea. Well, I would have probably had a little bit of a wager because I don't know who was going to see more minutes, him or uh, Zakaria, because Zakaria's been on our bench as well and hasn't seen any action. So it's nice that at least Carney got some minutes here. I feel like he's probably going to get more minutes going forward if that's the case, even if he is playing in a position where we probably have the most abundance of riches uh, that kind of attacking role but even then it was nice got a couple of you know, touches here and there and obviously not too much to take away from it but it, it seems positive again I'm trying to look at what positives the little positives we did have in this match and he looks like he has something there <laughs> so Julian Chelsea have three matches left before Premier League matches. Excuse me, three Premier League matches left before the World Cup break. Which no, excuse me, four. I apologize, four. Which seems kind of crazy to me, but you know we're we're really kind of 
within less than less than a month now. November twelfth, Chelsea play at uh, Newcastle is their last Premier League match before before the World Cup break. That's going to be so bizarre to me. I'm not quite sure. Um, I, you know, there's a part of me that'll really enjoy being able to watch the World Cup. It's going to feel so bizarre being watching that. You know, during Thanksgiving and and while waiting for Chelsea's season to resume, but. Chelsea's had a little bit of a run of form here where we knew they could pick up some points, and they did a pretty good job. But I think between, you know, Crystal Palace, Wolves, Aston Villa, Brentford, you think that's a pretty good stretch for Chelsea. But things ramp up a little bit from here with Manchester United on Saturday. And then after a after a, um, trip to Salzburg, they'll they'll return the following weekend and go face Brighton, which could be interesting. Just, you know, not that Brighton's been playing especially well, but the return of Graham Potter down to the South Coast. Um, and then finally, they play Arsenal um, and Newcastle in the league before the break. So, you know, that that's a lot tougher stretch here, suddenly playing a bunch of teams kind of in the top seven. And, you know, Potter's going to, you know, get get a little stiffer test here in the next month, I think. Yes, and I also don't like bringing up this stat too much, but the fact that we did have a, um, well, we both, Aston Villa and Brentford had a higher expected goals than us, and that isn't overly positive going into Manchester United, who seem to be playing pretty well themselves. I don't like the way that that match is shaping up at this moment, and I know it's at home, and Manchester United has been a little bit of a bogey team for us sometimes. I've seen some pretty negative results, even when they aren't at their best. I don't really like that matchup, so... That one's concerning. Brighton, I don't really know what to make of that. And then we have Arsenal at home. They're all tricky matches, unfortunately. And I think even if we had won this match 1-0, it still isn't boding well for us that we're not performing to the same level we had against Milan or Wolves or even the Palace match. So I, I don't feel as positive going into this one as I had maybe a couple of the matches recently this month. You know, I always talk about things sort of being in the eye of the beholder, but the thing I'm I'm trying to wrap my mind around a little as well. One is sort of what you just said about the Manchester United match that, you know, there's I don't know what to expect on Saturday because I think I don't know what to expect on any given week. I shouldn't say that. We've seen improvement from Man U, but I'm still not sure what I'm going to get out of them at any given week. And then I think, you know, as solid as Chelsea had been for four match, three, four matches in a row, yeah, these last two performances um, have me questioning a little, are we just kind of, you know, trying to get away with rotating and doing things a little more, you know, off-kilter against teams that aren't in the top six, and we're going to kind of you know, focus back the way we have in the Champions League for those kind of matches. Or, you know, I just don't know what we're going to get from either team. And then beyond that, I think, you know, if I look at the table right now, had Chelsea won today, they would be one point off of second. You know, that City and Tottenham, they have a a match in hand in Tottenham. Even still, they're three points behind City in second. They're three points behind Tottenham in third with a match in hand. Um, You know, I... Part of that has to do with Liverpool and where they've, you know, where they've been in this table. But it's just like, yeah, I I could see still so many things, especially over the next month before this World Cup break for Chelsea. They could really make a statement here and position themselves to be going into the second half of the season, you know, uh, solidly in that top three group. Or there's some potential here that teams right below them, Man United, Newcastle, Brighton 
could could really make some ground or pass Chelsea because they have you know head to head head matches in the next month. So I think this is going to be a, a particularly exciting month um, to see kind of and especially impactful as well. Um, not just because you know the World Cup's coming up, but also where it's going to kind of lead for where these teams finish up at the end of the year. So um, I don't know, Julian. Any other thoughts that you have about kind of this next stretch here before the World Cup? Yes, I think the final thing I really have to say is everybody maybe needs to reset their expectations a little bit because that great start that Potter had, it was a little bit maybe inflated and maybe the managerial boost. Uh, he was never going to walk into this team and instantly turn us into contenders because deficiencies have been in this club for a while and it's going to take some time for us to fill those gaps. And this just does kind of demonstrate that we're not a perfect club and I don't think we're capable of competing yet. Give Potter some time. I think things will get better. It looks a little rough right now. And we're saying it looks rough after we still haven't lost a match with Potter and we've had two results where we got draws and everything else has been a win. So that kind of goes to show the expectations maybe a little high. If we lose to Manchester United, if we lose to Arsenal, as long as we are seeing progress, that was my expectation when Potter took over. Is All I want to see is progress. I want to see this team getting better. So let, let's reset our expectations a little bit. Yeah, let's not have uh, Grand Potter immediately become the victim of his own success, right? So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you all the way. And uh, definitely... Chelsea, it'd be exciting to see us get three points against Manchester United, but you know, ultimately, there's a, there's going to be a lot of matches coming up here that'll be important. And I didn't even mention the the Zagreb and the Salzburg matches for Champions League as well. So those are those are coming up next month, and a match against uh, Manchester City in the EFL. So lots still to come before the break in no, November. Fans, stay tuned. We'll get back shortly with another podcast talking about the Manchester United match. Until then, this has been Jay Wilmington, joined by my co-host Julian Bravo. Until next time, Chelsea fans.